Okay, welcome, welcoming Ria today to the Caring Instinct podcast. So welcome, Ria. How's it going? Good, thank you. She's joining us from Cairo, right? In Egypt. We are here in Cairo. Yeah. The pyramids. So let me tell you a bit about Ria. Ria is a teacher librarian and transitional life coach from British Columbia, Canada. She's currently taking a gap year with her husband of almost 25 years and their two teenage children. They have been budget traveling the world since August and are world schooling their children on the road. Ria is passionate about helping people live great big lives full of purpose and significance. She believes that through living with purpose and significance, we can be our most authentic self. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you welcome, for having Maria. me. Thank you, Olga. For, I mean, how's it going? Tell us about your, your gap year. Sounds incredible. We are at almost six months of travel. It'll be six months, um, I believe, tomorrow. And yeah, we've had an absolutely great, big, wonderful, amazing time as a family. We, My husband and I decided that we wanted to do this before we had children. We said, if we're going to have children, we want to take a year and teach them about the world by living in the world. And so we planned to do it in 2020, but you know, nobody's yeah. plans for 2020 happened the way they planned that they would. So we're doing it this year and um, we're on our eighth country. And yeah, we're just having an absolutely, I wouldn't say it's always great, but we're having a wonderful time of learning. You know, we're living. So you've got your ups and you've got your downs and you have your in-betweens. Um, but we're just out here and we're enjoying the world and we're living. Yeah. Did So you planned this from the time they were bought, like a long time ago? You know, my husband and I um, never really traveled when we were children. Um, it was something that our lots of people didn't do it. Um, it yeah. was not something people could afford or that they had the time for. So when we got married, he wanted to stay in the town that we live in, in British Columbia. And at the time, I did not. I thought, I don't want to stay in a little town. And so we sort of agreed that if we stayed in the town um, that we would travel. And as we traveled, we went, oh, we, we really, if we have children, we want our children to experience this um, and experience understanding the world from different people's perspectives, seeing that there's not just one right way to do things. And we, we didn't want our kids to grow up to be in just like the little bubble of we only know this part of the world. Mm. And where we live, our town is... It's not the smallest town in the world by any stretch, but it's isolated because there's nothing bigger near us. So we felt that we didn't get to see the world in the same way that maybe people from London or from, you know, Ottawa or Toronto or, or bigger places might get to see it. So in 2003, we did our first really big trip um, as a couple and we traveled Southeast Asia for three months and we looked at Angkor Wat and we were standing there and we were like, this is amazing. And if we ever have children, we're going to bring them here one day. Yeah. And, you know, just this past year, we took them to Angkor Wat. So that was, on, that was one of the countries. Yeah, we yeah. had that full cir circle moment. And, um, you know, we told them the story. When we went to Angkor, um, you were allowed to climb up on, like, the yeah. monuments, which I, I can't believe we did because in retrospect, you know, that was 20 years ago and we think, it's not great to climb on these historical monuments, but at the time people did it. And so we told them the story of, you know, I climbed up and then I'm quite afraid of heights and I got stuck and I had to be rescued by some elderly um, Khmer women <laughs> crawled yeah. up and saved me. And, you know, we just had this moment there of going, 
wow, like, you know, we can tell them the story and they can see the spot where this story happened and they can see how things have changed as well. Because we're like, you know, you can't climb here. You can't do this now. Um, and it, it was the, an absolute full circle moment, like a, a true life highlight to take them to the spot where the trip originated from. Yeah. Tell us about your kids, please. I have two wonderful children um, who are, they're wonderful, but they're very human. Um, yeah. Our daughter is 16. She's just sort of decided what she wants to do for the next phase of life. So she's um, buckling down with some school to to make sure that she has all the prerequisites for getting into the program that she wants to do. She's looking at doing sort of kinesiology, physiotherapy assistant, um, possibly a physiotherapist. She's not sure she wants to commit to that, that much school. She's just like a wonderfully kind girl. Like she's, if I could describe her with any, any words, it would be kind. And then I have a 13 year old son, Isaac, who is, He's my creative, um, he's my entrepreneur, my creator. He's taking every opportunity on this trip to tuck things into his mind for how he can use them at home and refine them and maybe figure out a way to make money. <laughs> he's just a wonderful child as well. How are they finding the, you mentioned world schooling and the, mm -hmm. and that big moment of connect, how are they finding it? You know, I think sometimes like when you look at traveling, people look at it and if they haven't long-term traveled, they remember, you know, their, their one or two weeks of vacation, whether they've gone to a nice island yeah. and a resort. So there's ups and downs. Like as a family, we've had some wonderful, wonderful experiences like the pyramids and going hot air ballooning. Um, we just had the most wonderful encounter this morning. We got up, we did some homework. Everybody had some goals for homework. Mine was to rebook um, accommodations for Rome because we keep having our Rome accommodations fall through. Mm. So I was working on that. The children were working on homework. Um, their dad, my husband, Greg was helping them with their homework. And then we all needed a break and we thought, let's go on a walk. So we arrived in this area of Cairo last night and we don't really know where anything is. So we just went out on a walk and we had this lovely walk. We got into the wrong lineup. We thought we were lining up um, to get some food. And then this man handed us a piece of paper and we ended up um, having to use Google Translate on it. And it was people that were lining up to get visa applications for jobs in Saudi Arabia. So the wrong lineup. Um, and then we, we went and we had lunch and had to get help with some university students had to help us order our lunch because nobody in this area speaks any English. So these university students came over and they were like, oh, this is how you order. And, and today was a lovely day because it was just the little day to day things that we were learning about being here in Cairo and how to live. Um, and so. To answer your question, it's like the highs and the lows and the in-betweens. It's the living that happens with just going out and trying to figure out how to order yourselves a sandwich and get some coffee. And it's also, how do I get on a hot air balloon? Yeah. When you talk, it's really that living uh, abroad, mm -hmm. living, traveling lifestyle, which is, like you say, so much different. I can imagine to a two-week trip in Cairo and then back to, to life, you really kind of immerse yourself into it. Yes. And sometimes you get sick of it. You know, yeah. sometimes you get sick of 
you know, my son at one point said, like, I don't know how to cross the road. I don't know how to use the washroom. I don't know how to just do anything. And he was really frustrated. And my daughter doesn't, she tends to not let those things bug her as much. She's like, all right, I don't know how to do it, whatever. Um, My son always wants to be more independent. And we're like, well, we're in Cairo. You can't just go off shopping by yourself like you could when we're at home. Um, so there's, there's just those moments of trying to figure out how to live and how to be yourself in a culture that's very much not you. What's that like to go through as a family? Again, it's got the real highs where, you know, you're laughing today. We were laughing because these university students that helped us order sandwiches were like, well, tell us about snow. We know you're from Canada, so tell us about snow. So we brought up pictures on our phone and they were like, so you get so much snow that you have to shovel it? And I was watching my children and they're like, oh yeah, it's no big deal. You just shovel the snow, you put it on the side of your road, you drive your car. And so, you know, we're, we're sharing our experience with these university students who are just like, that's insane. And we're here going, it's wild that it gets so hot here that pavement melts. So there's like the highs and again, the highs and the lows. There's the just realizing the human experience across the world is very similar. Um, That we're curious about other people. They're curious about us. Um, When we stand and we talk, we find um, there's lots that we have in common together. I think one of our real highlights has been when our, our, our children look at other people and they're like this person is so much like me my son will see somebody who's trying you know they're starting a business in whatever country we're in and he's like oh yeah that guy is kind of he's thinking the way i think and they might not have the same language to talk but they are thinking the same yeah what about the way children grow up in other cultures and in other countries and just the way family life is organized. Hmm. Is there somewhere that you're like, oh, I'm totally taking it on board? Oh, goodness. Yes. You know, I every country has different things that I think I want to take that away. Um, also has some things where you're just like, I'm not entirely sure about that. Um, In Southeast Asia, children are given responsibility at young ages and they're trusted. They're trusted to do things, but they're also watched by the community. Occasionally, we would raise our eyebrows and be like, oh, that child seems far too young to be doing what they're doing. But they also would have been scaffolded into what they were doing. So, for instance, I saw a child of maybe 11 years old driving a moped when we were in Laos and I thought, that seems awfully young but the children they're part of culture they're just like brought right in so instead of being set off to the side or into their daycares you know this is a child that would have grown up on their father's lap riding the moped or their mother's lap and they know how to ride a moped from the time they're probably four or five years old so you know we would see see children like with responsibility but also support and so lots of that in southeast asia that i would look at taking away you know there's places where i i wouldn't take away some of what they do in terms of parenting or how children are raised but that definitely like that community piece where people scaffold around you and help you achieve the next step and the next step and the next step very much 
Yeah, and it's almost like, well, certainly in England, I'm sure it's similar in Canada, but that kind of community has almost been farmed out to more experts or teachers yeah. or, you know, doctors, other people. But people may be more and more outside of that community. Yes. So it must be very different to see. Well, and, you know, the first time we took our children to Southeast Asia, our daughter was actually two and our mm. son had not been born yet. And I remember I was in a little village. We had friends that were working there. And children are such a great way to connect with mm. cultures because, you know, they're safe. And so you, you get to experience culture differently when you have children. And some women came over and they'd noticed that my daughter had been crying. And in Thailand, which is where we were, children don't cry a lot because people will go and they'll comfort them. And I was just sort of letting my daughter cry. I knew that she was jet lagged or hungry or something. And it was something that, you know, I wasn't terribly concerned about, but the women came over and they were like, we're going to make your child not cry. Whatever it takes, we are going to make your child not cry. And it was one of those things where I was like, eliminating other people from like your parenting and from the way that you approach your children, it means that they don't get that same input. And so, you know, this woman came over and she was entertaining our daughter and she was just kind of, she made our daughter not cry and happier. And I just realized by having that connection with the person, our daughter was much, much happier. And by me not being like, oh, I have to do this all by myself to make sure my daughter's not upset, I was happier. And I think that um, that is one of the things that we could take away is just letting other people weigh in. Or (laughs) I say that, but then I'm like, I don't want people weighing in either. But um, like having people participate in in just the day-to-day with our children is not something that happens often in Canadian culture where, you know, if your child's upset, somebody will step in in a grocery store line and help out. Whereas that happens if you're in Southeast Asia or even just childcare, you know, in, in Canada, we're on the hook for all of our own childcare. Whereas yeah. in Southeast Asia, like the idea of having that sent off to other people is a, is in some places, it's like, what do you mean? Like, no, my, my aunt does that. My sister does that. And that community there supports you in it. Yeah, it's really that kind of raised by a village more. Yeah. Yes, we take full responsibility of our child and their experiences for better or for worse. On the one hand, Mm -hmm. of course, we take full responsibility because we are the responsible adults in their lives. But on the other hand, we might not be letting someone in who who Mm -hmm. might, they might expand their lives. They might improve their experience that... I, some, I try to tell myself this is actually my son's experience. This is not for me to control. Yes. This, what someone says to him, what someone... Obviously, to an extent, if there's a real danger, but very often right. what we perceive as, as danger is just someone's remark that we didn't like. That mm-hmm. is not necessarily the place to jump in straight away and edit it out of their lives you know because we I like that be... word danger yeah sorry I interrupted you there yeah, Olga. No, no, no. well I just think you know um I saw a child in Laos maybe three years old carrying a machete and I was like yeah mm, I don't know if I would let you know let my child carry a machete at three 
And again, it's that scaffolding piece, but because the parents knew that the child was being supported, there's a child learning to do something that we might consider to be dangerous, but it was in a very supported, very loving, very almost safe, as safe as you can be with a machete. And this child was, you know, chopping up some bamboo and helping and making this irrigation system that they were using. And I just thought, you know, how many times have I stepped in to protect my kids from perceived danger when it's really not as dangerous as I think it is? And if I just let them figure it out on their own, they would be more independent, more autonomous than if I'm meddling or, you know, putting on the safety gear for them or telling them what their limitations are. So that has been like a really big takeaway from this trip has been that, you know, children all over the world are trusted and given a lot of independence, a lot of autonomy that maybe is sometimes lacking in what we, you know, are able to do. Oh, definitely. Or feel like we're able to do in Canada. Yeah, and do, do you see that in the pl the play as well? Because here, children have lost a lot of playtime and, and that kind of independent time oh, from a very know, young age. They're just sitting down, you know, doing this activity or micromanaged almost. We're seeing, we, we were just talking about this as a family um, yesterday, and we're seeing sort of two streams. We're seeing um, lots of children that have lots of playtime around the world. And then we're seeing children where families are really hoping that their children can get ahead. I don't even know what that means anymore. So we spoke with um, a man in Tanzania. He kept talking to our children about, you know, we, we were on safari, we were having this great time. And he's like, well, at night when you're done the safari, go study. Like you can't get behind in your studies. And and we were like, no, like at the end of the safari, we want to process this as a family. We're going to go sit in the lodge, listen to the music, maybe connect with people. And he was telling us about the schedule that he has his children maintain so that they can have several languages, so that they're able to keep up in the world, I guess, and or get ahead. And so we're seeing like there's this real pull between playtime for children and achievement for children um and i don't know i don't know if i've seen any of the cultures where it seems like people have a clear balance on what what it is to do or how to do it best you know saw some kids um when we were in tanzania and they played for hours with a stick and they had made like a circle out of like wood or i don't know what exactly it was maybe it was like a branch and they were just like throwing this circle back and forth catching it on sticks and they were having so much fun and then you see the kids um you know when we were in the city that leave for in tanzania as well and they leave for school at seven in the morning and they get back at 6 30 or seven o'clock at night and there's no playtime, and they're the same age of child mm. um, so lives are like i think that what we're seeing across the planet is the lives of children are very different yeah and you say there's no finding that balance how how have you have you found a balance for your children you know every time we think we've found it then it changes yeah <laughs> so i suppose that's the idea of balance though right it's got yeah it's, it's constantly it's, moving it's it feels not, precarious uh, stuck yeah. yeah our schooling situation for our children is that our daughter um because she's in 11th grade 
she her courses count towards graduation and she's also looking at university applications so she's taking formalized courses um, with a local or like with a provincial school so it's an online school and her dad and i are able to support her in her coursework it's asynchronous she can do it on her own time um, she's taking some courses that are sort of easier in terms of time requirement and there's mostly balance there. Like we're finding that if she does six to 10 hours of schoolwork a week, that's more than enough to keep her caught up with what she's got as her goals. Yeah. That said, those six to 10 hours sometimes just feel annoying to do, or we don't want to be tied to, okay, she has to do a test or she has to do a quiz or she has to write a paper. So we're just, you know, we, We'll think that we've got it under control and we're like, okay, we're going to get up. We do an hour of homework. Then we go out and we do the day. But the best part of the weather maybe is when we plan to do homeworks and then we flip the day and something cool comes up and there's a day without homework. So our balance has been that we try to not sweat it too much. Um, with our son, we're creating the curriculum for him. So it's a little bit more flexible. Um, he set out some goals for himself for the year he's in seventh grade so he has some goals for himself math is the only one where we're like okay you need to kind of stay on par with yeah. your grade level for math and the balance is yeah it just keeps changing you know this week we're in cairo because my daughter just said i want to get these courses done she has two courses that she feels like if she just you know hunkers down she can finish this week and this morning she did probably two and a half hours of work and she feels like yep I'm gonna finish these courses and then I don't have to think about these two and she's only got one left for the remainder of our travels so but I don't know if there's balance I think with any yeah. part of parenting <laughs> balances that's the hard thing right what comes out of you of all finding out so much about each other about yourself and which you just wouldn't have been able to find out in, in a regular school year is that right Absolutely. I think there's the things that we always knew about each other um, that start to come out. We have three introverts in the family and one extrovert. And one of the things that we've discovered is the extrovert goes a little stir crazy when yeah. when the introverts have been overstimulated. So I will be like, okay, I just need 20 minutes to just not be around people you know we're in very close quarters oftentimes and my son's like i just want to go out and do and <sighs> so you know it it's sort of i think what travel does is it magnifies you know who you are so for me when i get into a place i usually try and make it into a home for us whatever that means like i unpack if we're anywhere for more than two or three nights, I unpack and, you know, things are put away and they're tidy. Um, the messy people in our, in our family, they're still messy. They're just messier in smaller places. Yeah. Any anxieties we have sometimes get magnified in, especially in different places. You know, you're in, you're in a place and you've heard negative, negative things about the place, you know, people's anxieties will be magnified because, you know, you don't have your comforts of home. I think what we've discovered is we're all more adventuresome than we thought we were. We've also discovered that everybody has their no, like they'll just be like, whether it's participating in something or 
eating something or going somewhere, everybody's had their no. As a family, we've learned to read each other's boundaries about things and to say, okay, like mom said no to this and dad said no to this. And it's okay if this is something that's okay for me, but it's also okay if that's something that's not going to happen for them. So we've got better at um, it's sort of listening to each other and knowing each other's boundaries. Yeah. That's a great question. I'm going to ask the It's going to, I mean, that was just what comes up to me is what a great, how that might set you up, your relationship or the individual relationships going forward in life. There was a thing on Instagram not that long ago that kind of seemed like it was circulating. And it was one of the things where it's like, you know, by the time your children are 13, their friends are a bigger influence in their life than you are. And my husband and I were like, you know, we're so fortunate that we have this year where our family is the biggest influence for each other. And I think the impact of that is going to be, I I hope it's going to be really positive. I think it will be positive. We'll see. I mean, time will tell. Well, that must be credit to you. And um, Olga, do you want to have a question if you want? I feel like I'm asking a lot. uh, (laughs) Yeah, I admire that because uh, to be honest, in the long run, how many friends do people have from the time they were 13? Do they still, there, mm-hmm. there, are some, there are some truly lifelong friendship. Oh, I met him in first grade and he's still my best friend. But mm-hmm. uh, those relationships, you know, they change. They might be shorter lived, longer lived, but the relationship with the parents is something we have throughout our whole life. Even when the yes. parents pass away, you know, it's it's still it's still a core relationship. It's one of the most formative. So it, it's worth investing in it, you know, like, uh, as you are doing. Absolutely. I was wondering, I loved how you mentioned in your writing the finding meaningful routines in mm. the life that's nothing, there's nothing routine. Not about anything it. but routine. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is one of my big takeaways. You know, we were talking earlier about our mutual affection for Gordon Newfeld, And one of the sessions that I attended, he talked about an end of day. And this was before I had children. Um, and he was just talking about how, um, as educators, we can provide children with security by providing them with an end of day experience. And I remember kind of raising my eyebrow and being like, what do you mean by that? And he said, you know, at the end of my day, I go home and I sit in my study and I've got, you know, my warm beverage or whatever it was. And I've got my cats and I have a chat with my wife. So as a family, we've always tried to have an end of day. Um, We often do it at dinner time where we just sort of chat about what our day was like and we will linger somewhere, whether it's at home in the living room and we're chatting or whether um, one of the things that we've done on the road here is at the end of dinner time, you know, we're waiting for our bill to come um, because we eat out a fair amount while we're on the road. And we'll just talk about, you know, what was good for the day, what was not good for the day, what we hope for for the next day. And we have that little end of day every day. And it's become, if we don't have it, it's become one of those things where as a family, we get a little irritated if it doesn't happen too often. So we have just this routine. Our family, like we pray before our meals and we realized when we were in Sri Lanka, we would hold hands to pray for our meals. But that was a bit of a social um, taboo because you don't want 
you know, if we hold hands, my left hand, which is in Sri Lanka used for things that you don't want near food, um, yeah. is holding on to somebody's right hand. So we started traveling. Um, we put our right hands into the middle of the table and then we say thanks for our food. And so that's become one of our travel routines now is, you know, we put our hands into the middle of the table and we say a prayer for our food. We have a family meeting whenever we need them. We've always had this where people can call a family meeting and at any time, and I have to say occasionally they're really inconvenient, yeah. um, but we'll have a family meeting and the children, you know, both of them will call family meetings, my son more often than my daughter. And we can talk about whatever it is that we need to talk about as a family and just be like, okay, this this needs to happen, or this is a way that we can respect each other more, or this is a way that we can make tomorrow go better, or I'm really struggling with X, can you guys help me with? So that's something that we have maintained on the road here. Actually, yeah. it's a funny story about my son, because we, when the ch children were younger, we started family meetings and we would have them in our, our little um, like family room at our home. And we would call them and we would just be like, okay, we're having a family meeting because this is going to be a busy weekend. And, you know, we would prime our children for what was going to happen. And, and, you know, we, we've always just been like, when we have a family meeting, everybody talks, everybody listens, every, you know, when people speak, you listen and you hear other people's points of view. So my son must've been like four and he called a family meeting mm. and, but he wanted to set it up, you know, his own style. So he got these like these plastic kind of folding chairs and he set them up in our living room. So it looked extra formal for our family meeting. And we sat down and, and he raised, you know, a family issue. And he's like, this is a really big issue for our family. He had the conversation, packed the chairs up and he put them out back in the garage. And <laughs> that was the end of the meeting. And I thought it was really sweet that Aww. he felt like he, he could do that. But then bringing his own seating to it was very, very cute. Oh, yeah. He, he was practicing. Yeah, that that the, yes. there's room for him to be had there. Yeah. So, you know, our routine still involves family meetings. We had one last night and, you know, just talking about what the next little phase is going to look like because we're going into some faster days of travel coming up after Cairo here. And I was like, okay, guys, like, this is what we need to get prepared for. Um, can you think of things ahead of time that we need to do? So we're going through Israel and Jordan quite quickly. And I was like, so can we think of things that we need to get done now? So we're not trying to do something quickly and then going, oh yeah, I forgot that I have to do this. Teaching them hopefully that skill of planning ahead too and considering others' feelings as they're planning ahead. What would you say, you, know, you talked a little bit about it, as a world schooling mother, what would you say... You're thinking, oh, thank God I am this, I've got these skills, or thank mm. God I am like this. It's really helping me. I know you're a teacher mm. librarian. Yeah. So. You know, I think curiosity, um, being curious, inquiry, you know, as a teacher librarian, that's like, that is our jam, is inquiry. So this whole year for our whole family has been just a big inquiry into what makes the world tick, what makes one culture different from another. Um, inquiry, like curiosity, flexibility um, are really important. And then 
I'm really organized and I think that that's important too, yeah. um, which again goes with being the librarian. You have to be curious, but you have to organize stuff. And yeah, I think that those are probably the traits in myself that have made this year go well. The flexibility of my family and especially the children has been a trait that's been really necessary for success for this year. And those I, traits, have, have they also developed throughout the year? I like think so. Like almost strengthened. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You know, we um, we had a loose itinerary when we left on the trip. Way before COVID came, the kids had done some research and they'd each picked a country that we would go to. Um, and they had been given parameters. They had to research the country and had to fit into the budget that we're traveling with as a family. Um, because, you know, when you do a trip like this, you're you're needing to live on a budget. It's not like, you know, you're two weeks to go to Mexico or something like that. So we had a plan and then the plan of course had to change because of COVID. And the kids then were like, oh, well, if COVID changed our plans, it's probably changed some things in the world. And so then they re-researched the countries that they planned to go to. And mm -hmm. we saw just in that whole process of doing the research, to go places we saw a maturity that you know happened with age happened with flexibility and then as we were on the road we were trying to decide you know a couple of the places that the children picked our daughter picked Myanmar um, which we decided was not safe to go to um, and we we struggled with the ethics of going there right now with um, just the yeah. humanitarian crisis there and so she, you know, she was very thoughtful, very flexible in her thinking about that and was like, no, like this is not a place that we can go right now. And she's like, of course, I'd like to go later. We chose to go to Sri Lanka, which when we first left on our trip in August, we were like, oh gosh, are we going to be able to go? And then we went, yeah, we, we think that we can. We spent six weeks there and it was mostly wonderful. Um, so I'm seeing that as we've traveled and as we've had to be more flexible, more adaptable, um, our kids have become within that more creative about how they spend their time, how they respond to changes. Um, even just if we go somewhere and things aren't working out, they just seem a little bit more resilient. Um, you know, what would yeah. have been a long travel day at the beginning, they're just like, oh yeah, that was no big deal. And <laughs> Now, some of it comes with age. I think some of it comes with having some of the newness of travel has worn off. So then it doesn't feel as big or as scary when it's not as new. Yeah. When you talk about all these uh, the values, qualities, well, I just think in school you come up with, I don't know if you have CVs there, do you? And yeah. normally you have, like, you know, maths, A star, English. But to come out with these things like, you know, flexibility, create resilience stuff like that, that kind of underlies everything it's yeah I just think it's great personally you know I think like I've been a public educator for over 20 years and you know there's the curriculum that we teach which is like you said your math and and your language arts and I think out of my colleagues the people I know we want to see kids coming out being flexible and adaptable mm. creative you know understanding their exponent laws is probably not the thing that we're like, oh, I sure hope that when they're in their 50s, they remember all their exponent laws. But we want we want them to be problem solvers and creative. Um, and, and I see like what we're doing on our trip is 
is just getting to the heart of the unspoken curriculum. So, yeah. you know, in, in school, like when you're in the classroom, there's of course like the curriculum and then there's the, the unwritten curriculum. We're just doing the unwritten curriculum this year. Um, you know, we, we do a little bit of the curriculum, but you know, it's the, what do you need to get through life? Um, my, yeah. my son did this thing the other day and he sort of surprised us because I was wrap, trying to wrap my head around the currency here in in Egypt. And he's like, oh, I find it easy. And I was like, really? And he's like, oh yeah, it's just the same. He goes, I just treat it like the Thai bot with a little bit. And I was like, yeah. oh, <laughs> okay. And he, you know, he was doing those conversions and having just like very flexible thinking in his head. And I was getting my head wrapped around, you know, how much I should be paying for bread. And he's like, I already did that. Like I did that when we were in Thailand. I know how much it should cost. It just costs a titch more than it did in Thailand. I'm like, oh, okay. That's amazing. Yeah. What's something that when you get back to Canada, you can't wait to do? Yeah. Oh, I very much like personally, two things I miss. Um, well, maybe three. Um, I miss cooking, specifically cooking and having people over like, a, you know, we would have people over routinely. Um, and, you know, people around our dinner table. So I guess that's two there is like cooking for people. And then the other thing I miss immensely is having access to um, literature in the English language. Mm. It's been more difficult and I get tired of screens, so I don't want to be on a Kindle or on my phone reading. I just want, I want some books in my hands. <laughs> yeah. I, meant to I know the kids are missing. My son just said, cause we live um, on property that backs onto a forest. And he said, I just miss going out to the forest with my buddies and like doing whatever it is they do out there. They've built a whole city out in the forest and you know, they have forts and I think he just misses, you know, grabbing his hammer and some supplies and going out. And, and what's, what do the next six months have in store for you? Um, well, we're going from Cairo here. Um, and then we're going to travel up the Sinai Peninsula into Jordan and Israel and then into Turkey. Um, Tur our plans for Turkey have changed a little bit because of the earthquake. So we're sort of tweaking where we were going to go. Um, and then we're looking at going into Albania and Greece and ending the year in Italy. And we've never been to Italy. We've heard it's wonderful. So we're very, very excited about that. And, Would you like yeah. to, to share? It sounds like you're starting your own coaching business. Yeah. Um, I started doing some life coaching about two years ago with people that are like, how do I make the changes in my life to make my life what I want it to be? And, you know, coaching is different from counseling in, in a lot of ways because counseling deals with sort of the things holding people back or, you know, some past traumas. And coaching is sort of this forward looking piece where people say, this is where I want to be, or I don't know where I want to be, but I want to unleash that. So I've been working with people on helping them find the things that make them tick. Um, you know, how do I live with 
purpose? How do I how do I find my significance? How do I live with passion and authenticity? And so I've been working with people who are looking to make big changes in their lives. Um, I've done a little bit of travel coaching with people who say, I've never traveled, but I've heard what you're doing and this sounds really cool and I want to do it. How can how can I do this? And as travel as individuals or families or both? Um, both. both. Yeah. So um, I just worked with a woman who said, I've never been anywhere in my life. Um, how do I start? And mm. she actually wanted to you know, we went with her, we went back into the process of how to save money and how to how to get her life ready so that she could take off for an extended period of time. Um, I also started working with a family that said, you know, they're a few years behind us, their kids are six and eight. And they said, when our kids hit high school, we want to do the same thing. How do we do this? Let's work through it. Let's, yeah. let's you know, what you do will be different than what we do but let's work through it and get there. So I've just started doing the coaching and I'm, I'm really quite enjoying it. Um, because we're on the road, I'm not doing a lot because I wanna just sort of be free to, you know, enjoy this, this phase and being rather unencumbered at this point. Great. That sounds wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ria. Um, oh, thank you. Visit and all the best with your coaching business. You've got so much to offer. Thank you so um, much. You know, thank you for time, having me every, on. Every time we go somewhere as a family and we love it. And both my husband and I just, oh, well, the last place was Prague. We could totally become digital nomads and move here. But how will it be for the kids? So. And I, I bet so many people have these questions and you sound like a great person to talk to. So thank, thank you. you for that. Yes, thank for, you. For and I'll, my, and my wife's from Colombia, so we, um, all her family there. So at some point in the future, we're definitely planning on having a year out and either having a base there and traveling around or yeah. doing something. We don't know. but And so many people are saying that. I think that that's one of... One of the things that's come out of the pandemic is so much work has moved to being digital. So many people have realized that school can be done digitally. Our yeah. children are so much more flexible than we thought that they were. And I think that there's a real movement to people saying, okay, I only have to be in the office one day a week, right? I only have to be in the office one week a month. How can I, how can I take my life and do my life in a different place um, the way I want to do it? And that's like, to me, that's pretty exciting. And as we're, as we've traveled, we keep encountering people around the world that have said, yep, we've just sold everything mm. or, you know, yeah. we're living as nomads. And, you know, there's quite a community out here as well of people that are doing that. Amazing. Yeah.